Chapter Six of Diversions in Sicily by H. Festing Jones. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Trapani. Chapter Six: Ferrau and Angelica. My next experience in a marionette theatre was at Trapani. I approached the subject with Mario, a coachman whom I have known since he was a boy. He was quite ready to help me and told me that there were two companies in the town one of large puppets about as high as my umbrella the others to which he went every evening being rather smaller accordingly at about a quarter to eight he called for me wrapped in his melodramatic cloak and hurried me through the wet and windy streets to the teatrino he kept me on his right hand because he was the host and i the guest and if owing to obstructions he found me accidentally on his left he was round in a moment and i was in the place of honour again he insisted on paying for our seats, fifteen centimes each, and we went in. This teatrino was in every way a much smaller place than that in Catania. It belonged to a private gentleman who had bought the puppets for his own amusement and spent much of his time among them, sometimes working them himself. He has since married and parted with them, and the theatre is now, 1908, closed. No complaint could be made about the seating arrangements or the ventilation, there were benches on the floor with a passage down the middle. A few rows in front were reserved for boys at ten centimes each, and at the other end of the hall was a small gallery for ladies, twenty centimes each. I asked Mario so many questions that he proposed we should go behind the scenes, which was exactly what I wanted. He spoke to one of the authorities, who was politeness itself, and, showing us through a door and up three steps, introduced us behind the curtain. Our heads were high above the opening of the proscenium, which was about the size and shape of the opening of the fireplace in a fairly large room. We were in a grove of puppets hanging up against the walls like turkeys in a poulterer's shop at Christmas, scores and scores of them. There were six or eight men preparing for the performance, and a youth, Pasquale, took charge of us and pointed out the principal figures. This warrior, he said, is Ferrao di Spagna. He was in tin armor, carefully made and enriched with brass and copper ornamentation, all as bright as a biscuit box. I said, He looks a very terrible fellow. Why is he so red about the eyes? For the whites of his eyes were redder than his cheeks. Because he is always in a rage. And this lady is Angelica, Empress of Cathay. She wears a crown and will die this evening. This is her husband, Medoro. He is a black man and wears a crown. He will perish tonight by the sword of Ferrau. I rapidly constructed by anticipation the familiar plot. The jealous husband would kill his erring wife and would then be killed by her lover. But being unversed in the habits of Cathayan emperors and their entourage, I had run off the track. Pasquale put me straight. Prima Ferrau uccide Medoro. Ferrau first kills Medoro. And then kills Angelica, I inquired no angelica si uccide personalmente so as not to marry farao i was next introduced to galafrone the father of angelica who also wore a crown and to two valorous knights sacrepante king of the circassians and the duca d'avilla there were more than two hundred marionettes altogether including turkish and spanish soldiers the knights and ladies were kept in green holland bags to preserve them from the dust and taken out as they were wanted. They varied in height from twenty-four to thirty-two inches. Ferrau was thirty-one and a half inches from the soles of his feet to the top of his helmet. 
angelica was twenty-six and a half inches ordinary turks and spanish soldiers were only twenty-four inches each pasquale was very proud of ferrau who really was magnificent he was made of wood with loose joints an iron rod went through his head and was hooked into a ring between his collar-bones another rod was fastened to his right wrist there were three strings one for his left hand which held his shield one to raise his visor and one which passed through his right fist and across his body to his sword-hilt so that he could draw his sword i should have liked to buy him and bring him to london with me he would be an ornament to any house but he was not for sale and besides it would not have been right to break up the company when don quixote carried away by his feelings like a sicilian facchino came to the assistance of don gayferos by drawing his sword and attacking the moorish puppets he broke up master peter's company in a very literal sense and had to pay four and a half reals for king marsilio of saragossa and five and a quarter for the emperor carlo magno but it is not clear how large or how splendid they were each figure requires one operator who stands between the wings which are about up to his waist and so solid that he can lean his elbows on them and reach comfortably more than halfway across the stage there are four openings between the wings and thus there can be eight puppets on the stage at once operated by eight manipulators four on each side this could not be done with the life-sized marionettes in catania which were all operated from behind and never came forward at trapani the stage was much deeper in proportion and the flies from which the scenery descended were high above the heads of the operators so that the figures could walk about backwards and forwards all over the stage the footlights were in the usual place in front of the curtain and during the performance boys got up from their seats in the front row and lighted their cigarettes at them i had not nearly completed my investigations but fearing we might be in the way we returned to the front and inquired about playbills there was only one in the house posted up near the box office we went and inspected it teatro di marionette per questa sera dara due recite la prima alle cinque e mezzo la seconda alle otto pugna fra sacrepante e il duca d'avilla ferrau uccide medoro e acquista angelica morte di sacrepante per mani di ferrau morte di angelica marionette theatre this evening two performances will be given the first at five thirty the second at eight fight between sacrepante and the duke of avilla ferrau kills medoro and gains possession of angelica death of sacrepante at the hands of ferrau death of angelica there was a pleasant-looking retiring young man in the box office who was pointed out to me as louis que parla the one who speaks they said he was a native of mount erix and a shoemaker by trade we returned to our places and sat talking smoking eating american peanuts and waiting the audience which consisted of men of the class of life to which mario belonged all knew one another most of them met there every evening a subscription for one month costs three lire and entitles the holder to one performance a day the performance at eight being a repetition of that at five thirty the play now being performed is the paladins of france it was written by manzanares in italian prose and is in three volumes it does not always agree with the other versions of the same story but that is only as it should be for romances have always been rewritten to suit the audience they are intended for 
it has been going on about four months that is since last october when it began with peppino re di france ed imperatore di roma the father of carlo magno and will continue day after day till may like the feuilleton in a journal during the hot weather there is no performance in this theatre but the same story will be taken up again next october and is long enough to last through two winters it could last longer but they bring it within reasonable limits by removing some of the boredom it concludes with the defeat and death of orlando and the paladins at roncisvalle the portion of the story appointed for the evening's performance was in five acts divided into a large number of very short scenes and if i did not always know quite clearly what was going on that was partly due to the distracting uproar for nearly every scene contained a fight and some contained several the shortest lasting well over a minute whoever had been employed to shorten the story would have earned the thanks of one member of the audience if he had acted upon pococurante's remarks to candide about the works of homer he ought not to have left in so many combats they were as like one another and as tedious as those in the iliad besides being much noisier at least we are not told that the homeric heroes were accompanied by a muscular pianist fully armed and by the incessant stamping of clogged boots nevertheless the majority of the audience enjoyed the fights for no sicilian objects to noise this is what i gathered angelica had come from far cathay with the express intention of sowing discord among the paladins by inducing them to fall in love with her and at the present moment sacrapante and the duca d'avila were her victims these two knights met in a wood raised their visors and talked matters over there was to be a fight about it of course but the preliminaries were to be conducted in a friendly spirit like a test case in chancery they separated no doubt to give them an opportunity of going home to make their wills and take leave of their wives and families if any in the second scene they met again lowered their visors drew their swords and fought till angelica supervened in the next scene the two knights and angelica were joined by medoro with whom one of the knights fought i recognized medoro when his visor was up because he was a black man but sacripante and the duca d'avila were so much alike that i did not know which was fighting and which was standing with angelica looking on say it was sacripante that was fighting being king of the circassians he was probably entitled to precedence over a mere duke angelica after some time began to feel qualms of conscience so she interrupted and mentioned who medoro really was sacripante in the most chivalrous manner immediately desisted and apologized he had failed to recognize his opponent and had no idea he had been fighting with the lady's husband the apology was accepted in the spirit in which it was offered all accusations expressed or implied were withdrawn and friendly relations established the four then set out together to pass the night in an albergo angelica however with her quick womanly instinct mistrusted the knights and taking her husband aside proposed that they two should depart by stealth and escape to cathay leaving sacripante and the duca d'avila asleep medoro demurred saying it was a very good inn and he was quite comfortable where he was so she told him a few facts which alarmed him to such a degree that he consented and they decamped on their way they encountered ferrau who entered with a stamp of the foot sforzando attacked medoro and killed him dead thus obtaining possession of angelica according to the playbill 
but she managed to get free and appeared upon the coast where she met a sea captain and telling him she was very rich made terms with him bought his vessel and embarked for the court of her father galafrone she might have made better terms had she not opened negotiations by telling him she was very rich but it was a matter of life or death and she was reckless knowing that ferrau was after her sacrepante and the duca d'avilla were after ferrau and presently caught him up and attacked him he fought with them both at once and killed one of them in a minute and a half with the exception of myself every one in the theatre knew which he killed for they knew all the knights as they came on let us again give sacrepante the precedence and suppose that he was killed first ferrau went on fighting with the duca d'avilla and both were hard at work when the curtain fell it rose again very effectively on the continuation of the fight and almost at once ferrau cut off the duca d'avilla's head which rolled about on the stage immediately there came three turks ferrau stabbed each as he entered one two three and their bodies encumbered the ground as the curtain fell it rose as soon as the bodies had been removed and disclosed ferrau stamping about alone there came three more turks he stabbed them each as they entered one two three and their bodies encumbered the ground then there came three knights in armour ferrau fought them all three together for a very considerable time and it was deafening he killed them all and their bodies encumbered the ground with those of the last three turks it was a bloody sight that met the eyes of galafrone who now entered the curtain fell while galafrone had the corpses cleared away and rose again on the same scene which was the antechamber of angelica's bedroom for somehow we were now in her father's dominions and it was she who had sent the knights and the turks to kill ferrau before he could approach her then there was an interview between ferrau and galafrone on the subject of angelica the knight having made her a widow now wished to make her his wife the king saw no objection and promised to use his influence with his daughter the scene changed to angelica's bedroom her bed was at the far end of the stage with a patchwork quilt over it but there was no other furniture in the room except a sofa near the front her father brought her in and i knowing that she was to kill herself personally and that this must be her last entry examined her closely and detected a string passing through her right hand and ending in the hilt of a dagger ostentatiously concealed in her bosom of course i knew what that meant her father true to his promise began to urge ferrau's suit saying that he had forgiven him for having killed medoro but angelica had not forgiven him and moreover she hated ferrau with his bloodshot eyes and his explosive manners she made a long speech admirably delivered by the cobbler and as full of noble sentiments as a poem by mrs browning then suddenly drawing her dagger with the string she stabbed herself and fell dead on the couch exclaiming arrivederci it was an extremely neat suicide and her father concluded the entertainment by weeping over her body these marionettes were not nearly so comic in their movements as the life-sized ones in catania not because they were better managed but because they attempted less and because being so small their defects were less obvious a small one may and generally does enter like a bird alighting on a molehill but he has such a short distance to go that he is at rest before one realizes that he has not attempted to walk besides it is a mode of progression we are all familiar with 
having practised it in dreams since childhood. A life-sized marionette on a larger stage has perhaps two or three yards to traverse. He tries to take steps and is easily caught tripping, for without strings to his feet his steps can only be done in a haphazard way. There are marionettes with strings to their feet, and though they may do the story of the paladins, this is not their usual business. They are more elaborately articulated, and are intended for operas, ballets, and other complicated things. And then again, in Catania, a glimpse of the hand of an operator or of someone standing in the wings offended at once as a blot on the performance. But looking at the small figures at Trapani, one accepted them almost immediately as men and women, and forgot all about absolute size, so that when the hand of an operator appeared and it was larger than the head of a marionette, it seemed to belong to another world, while a real man standing in the wings could not be seen above his knees, and it required a mental effort to connect his boots and trousers in any way with the performance. The speaker at Catania did well with a good voice. Nevertheless, one felt that disaster was in the neighborhood and was being consciously avoided. The idea of failure never crossed the mind of the cobbler from Mount Eryx. His voice was rich and flexible, full of variety, and quick to express a thousand emotions. Listening to it was like looking long and long into a piece of Sicilian amber, in whose infinite depth, as you turn it about in the sunlight, you see all the colors of the rainbow, from red through orange, yellow, green, and blue, even to a glowing purple. There was nothing he could not do with it, and he managed it with the quiet dignity and easy grace of a young lion at play. End of chapter 6